This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we continue our review of The Chosen with a discussion on the sixth episode. Sixth episode. We got we got three left. Six, seven, and eight, Brent. Is that how this is going to work? Yeah, eight in the first season. All right. All right. I, I got to say, as we record this, I'm enjoying the second season. Oh. It hasn't let me down yet. I haven't started it. All right. Well, we won't get into that. And you have some Christmas discussion buried somewhere that you might pull out of the old bag of tricks i've heard so you've told me yep it's on the schedule is that a secret i don't know well it probably all right well spoiler alert <laughs> ah okay excellent speaking of spoiler alerts we can uh let people know if you're interested don't listen to this episode till you've watched episode six of the chosen I don't have notes for like a few a, a few scenes of this episode, so we'll see what you, what you got. All right, so starts with um, it's this market scene. You see a sign for a pawnbroker. There's this long line of people, and I feel like there's a lot. It's saying a lot there that people are like, you know, going through all of these hard times and trying to get a little bit of money to survive or whatever. Uh, you see a woman come out of the shop. She's upset. This other guy walks in. And, uh, you know, the shopkeeper is asking him what he has. And he's like, you, you must be passing through. I don't recall seeing you before, which I feel like that says a lot too. Like, you know, all of my people are, are coming back like on a weekly basis because they're continuing this hardship. Right. Right. Um, it's all, you know, all subtext there, but, um, he's like, well, I'm on, I'm on my way to the dead sea. I was like, okay, he must be going to see John the Baptist probably. Um, but he doesn't say that, um, the shopkeeper is kind of insinuating like, uh, you know, I haven't seen you before. I don't know who you are. Maybe, uh, these things that you have are pretty nice. Maybe they're stolen. And he's like, no, 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 they're not stolen. They start talking about the price. And then the guy, uh, raises his arm to, to show him the tools. And then the shopkeeper noticed that he has leprosy. And so shopkeeper covers his mouth and he shoves the man to the ground, tells him to get out and uh surprisingly to me the the man actually took the money and left the tools and and then went on his way uh, which didn't really i didn't expect it to play out quite like that i figured he would just like go try to sell them to someone else but yeah and i thought you know my my gut and this will tell you you know my the thing that i assume about humanity my assumption is that he would take the money and the tools and if this if that's how people are going to treat me and and yet, especially in their day, uh, so much of physical conditions like this, um, whether it's an, an illness or leprosy, there's all this spiritual superstition connected to it that you assume that this was somewhat judgment from God. And so I can imagine him like wanting to be actually a person of integrity and and, and exchange those tools for a price because just make your condition worse in your mind. So that I suppose that makes sense, but that, uh, yeah, interesting. Well, that is, that is an interesting thought that he even had access to the money and the fact that he might reach out, like scared the shopkeeper enough not to try to take it back. Right. Absolutely. Even though the man hadn't touched it yet. Yep. And now I'm questioning, like, did he actually leave the tools? I didn't. You see, you said that, and I just assumed. I was like, well, Brent Billings doesn't miss any details. So he must have <laughs> left the tools. But I'm not sure if he did leave the tools. I can't remember. I can't remember, Brent. 
what do we do now? Now we have to go back and watch it again. Yeah, I don't remember seeing him having the tools later. Um, right, but I, I also don't know why we would have. So right, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if any if anyone noticed that detail, whether he actually took the tools with him or if he left them there, um, yeah, I'm curious. And then we see Matthew and Gaius uh, standing there in um, in the street. Uh, they're looking at this chest full of fish. Apparently, we don't actually see the fish. I think it's a chest full of money. They have oh, sold. Is, the is fish. it the money? Oh goodness, yeah. There's there's no way all those fish fit in that uh, trunk. So that's going to be oh, yeah, that's all the coin, baby. Well, either way, we didn't see inside. So that's correct. That that, that does make more sense now that you said it. I'm a little off my game apparently today, Marty. I'm. Not- <laughs> Not noticing Dry, these. It was, it was dried fish. They had they had dried it and shrunk it up. It was all vacuum sealed. That's that's all, Brent. That's good. I like that. <laughs> so anyway, Matthew is attempting to explain um, to guys just how many fish there were um, during this catch because everybody keeps saying two months and and Matthew's like two years and seven weeks or whatever it was. Well, I think that yeah, the taxes were two years, but then Gaius asks him. How long has it been since Simon has been oh, sure. paid up? Right. Yep. And and Matthew knows exactly how long it's been. Yeah. Right. And and there were a lot of interesting details here. I thought so. He talks about um, a gratis period where it's like okay, you you just have to pay within you know a year or whatever. But then he said that Simon got an extra year on top of that because of his marital exemption. So apparently Simon is more or less a newlywed. Right. At least within the last couple of years. That's a great point. I didn't catch that, but you're right. Yeah, sure. Um, which, which, you know, I guess, I don't know. I just don't see, because I know I know it talks about that. Um, is that in Leviticus? I want to say it's Deuteronomy. It feels Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy to me. Yeah. Well, either way, like, that's a, a Jewish custom. So it's interesting that Rome would allow that. Like, ah, yeah, sure, you don't have to pay taxes for a year because you got married. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's the exact marital custom that could be. Um, and and Herod, I mean, Her- are are they insinuating that Herod collects his tax through the Roman tax system? Could be very possible because that's where your, I mean, that's where your Herodian tax is going to come through, temple taxes. I don't know. I don't know how they would do the marital exemption, but that could be relevant. Could be relevant. Sure. So... Meanwhile, Gaius is just like, look, you know, we've got all this money sitting here. It's going to be fine. There's kind of a small crowd around them. And he's like, just act natural. And Matthew is like, I am being natural. What are you talking about? (laughs) He's like, well, act normal. (laughs) Just, you know, try to to look natural. I am natural. I look exactly how I feel. Try to act like a normal person under normal circumstances. It's a great little exchange. And then um, some other soldiers approach and... uh, they're like, we had to come see, you know, what's going on here. And, and Marcus, uh, the, the soldier who approaches, he does not believe the story of the fish. Uh, so Matthew's just got an uphill battle trying to convince everyone of what was going on here. So then we have uh, Nicodemus speaking to a group about John the Baptist. He's like, look, uh, you know, I checked it out. There's no material threat to Herod or to public peace. It's going to be fine. He's just seeking attention. Um, you know, people hear all this yelling and screaming, they're going to check it out just because they're curious. But but once they see him, they're going to know what's really going on. 
And if we try to keep him silent, we're just legitimizing him. So Shmuel um, admits at that point that he was the one who turned John in. And then there's a little bit of an argument there. And the council judge or whatever he was calls out Shmuel and says, you know, your actions were rash. And Nicodemus is like, look, I'll, I'll deal with all this. Yeah, I like there are all kinds of things in this scene that I liked. I like the play between there's one Pharisaical worldview, probably represented by Shmuel, that's about politics. And then you see Nicodemus trying to be a, a Pharisee of, of principle. So politics versus principle. Um, I love the comment about how what John is doing is not our baptism. We talked on the podcast about the difference between Essene baptism and Pharisee baptism. And what John's doing out at the river, like Nicodemus is like, it's not even our baptism. Like, like why should we be? It's not the ritualistic Pharisaical mikvah that we're used to. It's the, you know, it's a more Essene driven mikvah. I, I love the, um, it, like, when this whole thing starts with the council member, with the elder there, um, that judge character, like, there's a, a, a completely open, legitimate, like, what do we do? By the time it plays itself out, there's a definite student-teacher dynamic at play that this elder then, like, completely, this council member completely upholds. Because <laughs> it was like this open debate. By the time the conversation gets had, it's like, I can't even believe you would do this because you're the student, he's the teacher. And I thought that was a really appropriate dynamic that you see played out there from a historical perspective. I like that. So then we see the disciples outside of town. They're disassembling their tents, apparently getting ready to go wherever they're going. Uh, Simon and James are taking apart one tent and discussing how, you know, James, uh, and this is little James, was about to join a Jerusalem choir, the 288, uh, which, Marty, I don't know. I, I found out about this after the fact. Do you know what that is in reference to? I don't. Educate me. I love this. It's come from the commentary. What's going on here? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a reference to First Chronicles 25. Okay, okay. So check it out. It's, it's a great little, okay. great little thread to pull on. Was there like a little, uh, was there like 288 singers? In- uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sweet. So then James uh, is like, yeah, I'll, I'll show you what's going on. So he sings sings a song and everyone's like, okay, okay. And uh, Simon's like, yeah, I see why Jesus picked you. <laughs> uh, it's it's clear. And, and James is like, look, nothing is clear. Like only Jesus knows what I'm going to become, whether that's a singer or not. I have no idea. And uh, and so they're, they're kind of, you know, exploring their their purpose as disciples yep and then jesus comes in and he tells simon like look you got to go ahead of us you uh eden's iman needs help like you have some responsibilities just go on ahead it'll be fine so then uh we're back to matthew and gaius and and they're now uh with quintus and quintus is like look the numbers have not been this good in a long time and he's like you know maybe this simon guy he seems like he's unreliable, right? But but all of a sudden, under pressure, he delivers. So maybe he can do it again. And so they're trying. He's trying to like you know figure out how he can leverage this for his own advantage. And Matthew's trying to explain like, look, it wasn't Simon. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I don't care. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to have my own interpretation of this. You are just a simple person. You don't understand what was going on. It doesn't matter who was helping him. If he has the power to convince people to help him, then that's just as good to me. And then a soldier comes running in, um, says Herod's envoy is nearby. And Quintus is like, okay, we got to get prepared for this. 
Uh, I guess they're expecting a senator. I was a little confused about what was happening there, but whatever. And then Matthew continues to to say, like, look, there was there was no trickery. There's no deception. I was watching the whole thing. Uh, you know, there's lots of things I don't understand, but but I can make observations and I didn't see anything out of whack there. So Quintus like lays out this scenario uh, for Matthew and it's like, well, how would you respond to this thing? And, uh, and I loved this line. Um, and, and I think Quintus is like, what is, what is he going to say to his people in response to this? And, and Matthew says, I would show them my plans for infrastructure. Conquest is not simply conquering nations, but imposing a way of life. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that was, a. Uh... I love that little Roman. There's so many pieces and layers of that. It was just so that was that was well done. I like that. Yeah, I'm falling over my words, but I appreciated that little section of that scene. That was good. And that particular line is just like, man, what what a a great little encapsulation of like the Hellenistic way of of conquering the world. Because we talked about that, I think, probably early in session three where it's like Alexander the Great came in and conquered, but then he established all these things and and made you love the Greek lifestyle. Exactly, yep. So, like, he can conquer you once, but if he can get you on his side, then he's got you forever. And so I just thought that was a, a great way of, like, putting that idea into, into Matthew's line. Um, so then we're back to the disciples. They're walking along. Uh, we see a woman picking flowers, and Jesus asks her if her necklace is Egyptian. She's like, yeah. Uh, I grew up there. My father's from Ethiopia. And then Jesus starts speaking Egyptian and he's like, Hey, I I'm also grew up in Egypt. And, and she's like, Oh, well I'm, I'm Tamar. And, and he introduces himself and, and then the disciples are like, what is it? You speak Egyptian. And so they're asking about this. And, uh, Jesus says he was fleeing from Bethlehem and big James says like, Oh, I know that story. The massacre of the infants, uh, the massacre of the infants and Jesus is just kind of uh, coy about it and uh like yeah yeah that happened it was it was pretty bad but he doesn't you know doesn't push on it too much um so i figure we're gonna, probably going to come back to that bethlehem connection later yep and, and i and i appreciated the you know we mentioned this before in a previous episode but i i, I appreciated the uh, awareness of um racial ethnic diversity there where they they have a much darker skinned woman representing the Egyptian. I mean, going back to our episode with Portia, I thought that was uh, well played. I ha- I've had some follow-up emails. I've had a lot of follow-up emails to that episode. But um, one, of the email, one of the emails was just really wanting to dive deeper. And, and I'm not an expert in what those historic, you know, racial cues were. Like how, uh, how far south do you get as, uh, and what is the implications? What are the impacts of that on, on things like uh, that kind of diversity of skin tone and and that kind of thing, but I, I thought they there was a there was an awareness there that I after thinking about it after talking about it I just went oh hey check that out that was at, at least in part uh, I appreciated that uh, that's something that I wouldn't have thought of or expected or looked for and it was there I liked it yeah and it would totally make sense to have people from all over the place. Um this crossroads of the earth idea that we talked about, you know, way back, uh, episode, what was that? 34, 35, somewhere in there. Um, so yeah, like they're going to have people from everywhere. So for Jesus to be walking around and to come upon a, a wide variety of people is not surprising. I think not at all. Yeah. So then they, they turn to, to move on and, um, 
a man, the man with leprosy from, from the opening scene approaches and Mary screams and the disciples are, are like, don't come any closer. They pull out their knives and Jesus is like, Whoa, calm down, calm down. <laughs> he tells him not to worry. He puts down his bag and, uh, and, and then Jesus approaches the man. Um, and, uh, he begins pleading with Jesus and he's like, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Uh, he says that he knows Jesus because his sister was a servant at the wedding. So it's like, okay, yeah, word is starting to spread. And, uh, Jesus says he is willing. He puts his hand on the man and then the, the spots begin to disappear, uh, from his skin. Everyone is just watching and staring in disbelief. The man is completely overwhelmed. He hugs Jesus and Jesus is like, don't tell anybody about this. Just uh, present yourself to the priest, go make the appropriate sacrifice at the temple. And uh, then Jesus says, does anyone have an extra tunic? And, you know, every disciple just starts falling all over themselves, <laughs> trying to pull it out. He's like, no, we just need one, just one. And Thaddeus comes over and, and puts uh, his tunic, his extra tunic on the man. And uh, Jesus is like, hey, green is definitely your color. And he's just like laughing like, uh, like man, I can't believe this just happened. And And he's just... Like, we're just joking about clothing now. Like this, my whole life was my leprosy. And now all of a sudden I, I just get to talk about what clothes I'm wearing. And he's just, you know, completely overwhelmed by everything. And then cuts to a shot of Tamar and she seems to realize something and, and she runs off. Yeah. A couple of my favorite uh, lines in that scene, um, when he walks up, don't turn away from me. And like one of Jesus's, uh, utmost concern seems to be, you know, I communicating, I won't, I won't turn away from you. Um, just love that posture. And I don't know why it struck me at the end of this scene where Jesus tells him, you know, go to the temple, make the sacrifice that Moses required. And then, and then that line, and then go on your way. Like there's something about that line that I, I'm having a hard time articulating in my notes, but there's something about that where it's like, just just be about like get on to your next chapter just go on your like don't <laughs> don't try to make sense of that whole th- like don't just head on to whatever's next just be on your like i wonder how much that's god's perspective in our life and we're like trying to make the narrative all tie together and be beautiful and all and i wonder how many times god might look at us and just be like just and and go on your way and that was that. And now go on your way. There's something about that line I really like. I'll be thinking on that for a while. Yeah, for sure. Um, then we see Zebedee um, and Salome, uh, his wife. And they're, um, she's putting some stuff in a basket. He's raising the basket through the roof for whatever purpose. I'm not really sure. Um, but then he spots his his boys coming home. And so everyone runs outside to, to greet them. And then... Jesus walks up and then Salome walks out and she sees him and she's kind of like a little bit starstruck, but then she like falls into this serious face and she's just staring at him and she starts talking to her boys while still staring at Jesus. And she's like, James, John. Yes. Yes. Ema. Listen to him, please. And stay by his side. And they're like, okay, 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 yeah, we will. And then and then John kind of tries to snap her out of her <laughs> trance. And she's like, oh, yeah, I uh, come on, everybody come in. You know, she's she realizes she needs to be hospitable. And then um, everyone starts to go inside, but Zebedee stops his son and says, hey, w- what happened to Simon? 
did he did he leave did he not stick around and, and john's like no, no no he's fine he's he's gotta take care of something but he's the teacher's pet so he's he's good this will get a little bit ahead of our of where we're at and the but uh, salome's hospitality like she snaps out of it she realizes that hospitality that we've often talked about in that middle eastern culture um but then later later in an upcoming scene like Peter's going to reference Salome's cooking, and then he's going to get there and he's gonna be like, "Salome didn't cook," which on some like my knee jerk was like, "Well, of course she would have cooked the hospitality." But then I also thought about the Mary Martha story, and I thought, "Man, what an interesting play there!" Like on one hand, I was like, "How could Salome not be cooking in this world of hospitality?" And yet I also thought, like, but maybe Salome actually gets the bigger picture, the Mary picture rather than the Martha picture. And I wonder if she was like, no, no, we're not, we're not, we're not here for that kind of hospitality. We're here for another kind of hospitality, for a different kind of spiritual food, for you know, yada yada yada. I thought maybe I shouldn't be so quick to judge her, Martha, Martha, Marty, <laughs> man, <laughs> so good, so good. And I think you maybe do see her struggling with it a little bit because at one point, you sure. know, as the crowd gets oh, yeah, bigger yeah, yeah. and bigger, you're right. She ducks outside and she she asks, um, yeah, right, Mara. She's like, hey, can you go over to the neighbor's house and um, ask for some food? And Mara's like, uh, the the neighbors here at your door, like everybody else is, right, right. And then Mary's like, look, I think they're being fed enough you don't yeah. have to worry about this yeah no you're right so i forgot about that she does kind of go back and forth like i think she does realize the gravity of what is happening but at the same time she has that instinct of hospitality so she's she's going back and forth a little bit so right yeah that's great so so then we're back with uh simon and he's uh getting a damp cloth and he's pressing it on uh eden's ema's uh arm and her forehead and he's singing over her and then you go to Andrew in the next room and he's telling all the stories to Eden about what's been going on. Simon comes out and he's like, yeah, Eden's asleep. And Andrew makes a comment about uh, Simon singing. Eden laughs a little bit. It's like, okay, so here, I guess he picked something up from James. Kind of likes that idea of singing or whatever. Uh, and then Simon and Andrew leave and uh, the, this is when they make the comment about, yeah, we're going to go get some of Salome's cooking. It's going to be great. And then Matthew shows up and Simon's like, dude, you got to stop following us. And Matthew's like, I'm not here for you guys. I'm here for the man on the shore. And so Simon kind of freaks out a little bit. He's like, hey, you didn't see anything. Nothing happened. You're a traitor. Just forget about the whole thing. He's like, look, I, I told Rome about it and they don't believe me. But I'm, I think I do believe it. But I need to know, like, am I being deceived? And Andrew has a great line there. And he's like, what good is our answer if you're not even listening to yourself? Right. Yep. Yeah, good line. So then we're back with uh, the Pharisees. Yusuf is preparing. Um, he says he has the scrolls of Isaiah and Malachi for the day's reading for Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is like, uh, I actually need a little bit of time. Can you guys give me the room? And um, then he's like, Shmuel, hang back with me for a minute. And then uh, we're back to Zebedee and Zebedee hands uh simon some walnuts and this is where he's like wait a minute salome didn't cook <laughs> he's like nope <laughs> and uh he's like oh man anybody want some walnuts <laughs> so then zebedee go starts talking to jesus he's like hey well, who is your father jesus is like well he's in heaven now and uh he's like well tell me about your lineage and and john is like dad what and zebedee's like no, 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 no. genealogies are great like this is what we talk about this is important 
And uh, he's like, what about, what about pre-exile? Like, who's your tribe? And, and Salome's like, I think he's from the tribe of Judah. And, and she's like, well, what makes you say that? He, he's kind of intrigued by that. But then everyone starts to show up. So Eliel and Mara arrive, and they're the parents of Abigail from episode three, if you remember. And uh, Mara's like, well, we heard about this parable of the net. I've got some questions. Like, how soon do you think the day is going to come on this? And so Jesus starts telling a story about the wedding and the, the servants waiting at the gate with lamps. Uh, Barnaby and Shula now show up, and Barnaby's making comments about that. And he's like, hey, while you're at it, I heard about that wedding. Can you turn my well into a wine vat like you did at the <laughs> wedding? That'd be great. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and then as the crowd continues to grow, Simon grabs John, and he's like, hey, um, I think it's getting a little too crowded in here. And they have this great little exchange. I think he can handle anything. Yeah, well, he called me. And if we're not fighting the Romans yet, I want to do something until that time comes. I called you to catch men. I don't know what that means. Exactly. And if he needed you to know what that meant, he would have told you. So just... Just be you. Okay? Like, Simon's just feeling like, what is my place here? I'm not... I know I've been chosen... And I know I've been called and I know I've been, uh, I've got to have some kind of purpose, but what is it? I don't know what I'm doing here. And so he's trying to like find his place and, um, yeah. And, and John seems to have a little bit better perspective there. Like, look, man, we're just, we're just along for the ride. So just, right. Just be you and, and we'll figure out what we need to do when the time comes. Yeah. I, I, I could relate to that part of the Peter, like earlier in the scene, he's like, well, the master is tired. Can you guys not grill him over a bunch of Bible questions? And and then later as the crowds start to show up, like he's always kind of jittery about safety and protection and the crowds. And, and I just thought, man, that is so often how you put me in a, in a ministry event, like give me a big church event. And I am going to be so cranked up about the itinerary and the details and who's coming and whether or not we have enough food and that I I'll I'm just going to get lost and I can totally relate to a Peter trying to make sense out of all that. So yeah. And you're I, scoping I, out the exits. You always oh, have goodness. an exit plan. Yep. That's <laughs> definitely Marty. Yep. My introvertedness always needs to know how to get out of a crowd. Sure. Um, and, and then I also liked like just the content of that whole, like all the scenes where he's at Salome's house as a crowd and the teachings like it really just represents like she's asking about a parable that really gets told much later in the gospels there's all this like they didn't try to put a section of the gospel teaching in order from like some one of the gospel they just took a whole smattering of Jesus teachings and put it together in this scene and had this like ongoing discussion which i really liked because that's likely much more realistic to how these conversations and these teachings took place that then get packaged by those gospel writers and told in a way because they're trying to do something with their own scenes in the written gospels. But I love what you're seeing in the in the episode here because that's likely much, much more how, like Jesus probably told the same parables. Like, Brent, you've hung out with me somewhat. You've, you've traveled to different places where I, do you hear the same lessons from me? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's what I was just going to say. It's yeah, that's the other alternative is like these stories were told over and over and over again. Right. And so we're not saying that it wasn't the parable of the net wasn't told later on. Right. But but 
it was also probably told earlier too. Exactly. And people are going to be asking like, I was there when you told that parable. Can we go back and talk about that? I, I love that. That was very, it felt very real to me. And, and I just, I thought that was good. I have notes on that. Yeah. That was one of the things that, uh, both of the, um, both of the round table commentators were talking about was just that, that interactive, like there's just a crowd sitting around somebody and everybody's asking questions and the conversation just kind of goes all over the place. And like, we hear a lot of sermon on the Mount stuff, um, as it's cutting between scenes, like we'll cut back to a scene and we'll see like, you know, the closing line of, of a particular teaching. And most of those are from the sermon on the Mount, but there's a lot of stuff from the sermon on the Mount. So, you know, I think just when you're taking all of Jesus teachings and putting them into one big discourse like this, you're going to get a lot of that stuff. So, um, yeah, you do see a lot from from that Matthew five through seven portion, but but you do have some other stories pulled in from other places too. So right, yep. So then we're back with uh, Nicodemus and Shmuel, and and he says to I love this line. Shmuel, my eyes are tired. Would you mind reading to me from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah? <laughs> yeah, you know Shmuel that's a setup. Of, Shmuel knows yeah. that's a setup. Everybody knows that's a setup. Gosh dang it. Yeah, and he, I think he even kind of rolls his eyes, or or at least gives some sort of expression that is similar to that. <laughs> So uh, Shmuel begins reading uh, from Isaiah 40, and Nicodemus is like, no, nah, nah, go down a couple lines. And so he reads he reads the portion, the voice of one crying, and uh, and Nicodemus is like, well, who does that sound like? And Shmuel, he, he's like, that's the heretic John. <laughs> <laughs> so they go back and forth on the passage a little bit, and uh, Shmuel is like, look, God can't take human form, so we can't do this. And Nicodemus is like, well, you're putting limits on God. He's like, no, it says it in Deuteronomy, and it says it in Exodus, like all these things. Like, it's there in the text. And and then Nicodemus is like, well, that's your interpretation. Are you limiting God to your interpretation, or do you think you should question your interpretation? Which, can we just stop here and say, man, what a challenging wrestling match for all of us religious folk um, in conservative evangelical Christianity. Um, and I'm not saying, like, challenge and the answer is clear. I'm saying challenge because it's a challenge. Like, like there's this real tension in their conversation between, is it God or is it Torah? It, the, is God confined by Torah? Or is God is Torah over God or is God over Torah? And how do you do which sounds easy until you think about applying that. It is God subject to the Bible or is the Bible subject to God? And now all of a sudden that that phrase for us hopefully makes the tension and the challenge a little bit more real. But man, what a what a huge cause and I love how you phrased it, uh, Brent, your interpretation of Torah. Um and and how do you do that? How do you our interpret? How many times do our interpretations of the Bible define God for us, and we end up putting God underneath our interpretations, rather than reminding ourselves that our interpretations most definitely sit underneath God? Our interpretations will often be so finite and so fallible compared to the God who created it all and sits at the top of all of it. Just so. So good. And you haven't gotten there yet, but gosh dang it, my favorite statement. We are still students, Well, All of us. Our understanding will never be complete. Thought that was so good. So good from Nicodemus. Shmuel says like, ah, oh, man, like I've been your student for a long time. Your teachings used to be so sturdy. And, and that's when Nicodemus is like, no, we're, we're always students. We're always learning. We never have a full understanding. And, and then he brings up the, uh, the Sadducees and he's like, look, the Sadducees, 
they take Torah as inspired, but they disregard everything else. And think about all the stuff that they've missed out on. And uh, Nicodemus is like, well, we can we can walk the ancient path, r- referencing Jeremiah, but we can still be open to new things in addition to that. And then uh, the conversation is kind of cut short a little bit. Yusuf comes running in and he's like, look, there's this crowd gathering. Uh, we're not sure what's going on, but it's not John the Baptist. It's It's somebody... Some normal guy. Ooh, man, that scene, that is a Bayma scene right there. That whole that whole exchange. Short little thing, but that exchange between Nicodemus and Shmuel, that that is a scene for us to uh grapple with and wrestle with. I like it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I know we use that Jeremiah passage quite a bit too. Oh baby, come up come to Israel with me. We'll use that up. So then we're back. Uh Jesus is still teaching, of course. Uh Salome, this is where Salome ducks out and and tries to get the food and and mary's like ah, they're being fed don't worry about it uh so then we're, we're back in the house and uh shula is there and she asks about prayer and jesus is like look it's it's fine to do things in secret and and you know if you're gonna do something nice with your right hand don't let your left hand know about it and barnaby's like how is that even possible and jesus is like just be generous and don't worry about it so like that's kind of a fun like <laughs> of course someone would like we read the bible and we're like what the heck does that mean? But if we were there, we would absolutely ask Jesus to clarify that. Sure. I feel like anyway. Yeah, sure. And uh, so so I think it's really fun that Jesus is just like, yeah, no, no, just be generous. He's generous in his offering of interpretation because I think he he understands that Barnaby is there and is asking a sincere question. He's not trying to trap him or trick him with anything like. Right. He's He's just like, you know. I thought that was a great exchange. Yep. So then you see uh, Tamar arrive, and she's got some people with her. And then it cuts over to uh, Gaius and Matthew, and and nobody's there at the tax collector booth. And he's like, what's going on here? How long has it been? He's like, ah, an hour, maybe two. And uh, Gaius is like, is there some kind of Jewish holiday that I don't know about? And Matthew's like, there's a lot that you don't know about. <laughs> and then uh, Marcus comes up and... Uh, tells Gaius something and and then Gaius is like Matthew just close everything down and go home and Matthew's like no, no, no I, I gotta come with you I gotta see what's going on and he's like no there's a mob he's like well how do you think I survived the other 16 hours and I think I think Gaius like all of us is like yeah I don't know <laughs> because it doesn't seem like you should <laughs> that's right so then we're back to Jesus uh, we get another little glimpse of a teaching and then tomorrow's kind of pushing through the crowd Simon's working the crowd. He's like going around like, Hey, can you, can he's talking about Jesus. He's like, can you believe this guy? He's right there. He's pretty cool. Huh? And then Simon looks over and sees Tamar goes over to her and he's like, look, there's no way in here. It's too crowded. And, uh, Mary's like, well, maybe we should let them in. And this was kind of an interesting, um, mini arc for Mary because initially she's freaked out by the man with leprosy. And then here she's like, well, we should try to let him in with the teacher and Andrew's like, look, we're trying to keep this whole thing kind of quiet. This would cause quite a scene if he does something in this big crowd. And Mary's like, yeah, that's probably right. And then, um, the, is it tomorrow? I think says, says to Mary, like, well, what would you do if this was you? Like, would you want your friends to try to push through for you? And she's like, Oh, I was you pretty recently. And yeah, and so that that kind of like shifts for Mary, and she's like, okay. So then Mary's trying to 
trying to like figure out how this can happen. And Tamara's like, well, what about the roof? And Mary's like, okay, I can take you up to the roof. So there's so much going on in the scene too. Yeah, there is. It keeps, it's like a pretty, it's a, it's flowing well, but to talk about it, I realize you're like bouncing back and forth between all these yeah. characters coming into the same scene. It is, it is really like, I think they portray it well as like this big hectic crowd and Jesus is teaching other people are trying to get in. Um, the Roman, we see the Roman soldiers approach, um, and Simon's like, oh, here's my, here's my deal. And Andrew's like, no, no, no I'm going to talk to them. Cause you're just going to cause problems. Let me, let me deal with this. Right. Then Matthew comes in and he's trying to get closer and, uh, and people are just pushing him. Like they turn and they see who it is and they just push him out of the way. Uh, which, you know, there's no comment on it, but it's just like, oh yeah. And Matthew doesn't, he doesn't like, Hey, what, what do you think you're doing? Like he just, that's so just what he expects yep, absolutely. as a tax collector. Um, so then he he goes around the corner and um and then all of a sudden people are throwing grapes at him and he's like oh man what's going on here and he turns around and it's Abigail and Joshua um the the two kids who showed up first um in episode three uh, at Jesus's campsite and uh, and they're like come on up let's check it out so they're they're actually being friendly for him and uh, that's a great little scene Simon comes uh, and and. Uh, kind of pushes Matthew up onto the roof, gives him a little boost. And then Simon starts to explain who Jesus is. And the kids are like, oh yeah, we know him. And so again, Simon is like, what is my purpose here? <laughs> what am I doing? Everybody already knows who Jesus is. Andrew's handling the Romans. What am I doing? So then Jesus is um, talking about God clothing people. Then the Pharisees arrive and some people are like kind of making way for the Pharisees, but then Barnaby's like telling him to be quiet because he's trying to listen. And uh, Shmuel's kind of freaking out, but Nicodemus is like, "Look, well, this is not our element here. Like, we don't have, we don't have the kind of authority that we're used to when we're in this part of town." Then Shmuel spots Mary on the roof, and Nicodemus is like, "Oh man, what is she doing here?" And they're starting to kind of put some pieces together. And then Tamar cries out to Jesus from the roof. Um, Jesus of Nazareth, which is as Jesus introduced himself to her, uh, when they were walking earlier that day. And then the friends, um, like there's already a hole in the roof, uh, which I, I, they were saying in the commentary that this was, um, kind of a, a staging and an episode flow decision on how they did this. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could understand why they did that. Yeah. But the round table people were like, Hey, well, you know, I think it was Matthew and Luke that have this story. And they're like, well, Matthew says this, but Luke says this. And he kind of did a pretty good job of like getting elements from both stories together. So sure. yep. there's already the hole in the roof, but it's not quite big enough to fit the friend through. So they start pulling some of the framing apart and there's some stuff falling down and, and uh, I think James and John are like, you know, as their parents' house is being torn apart, they're like, hey, hey, what's going on here? Well, I thought it was interesting, too. Like, she says, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, I, I saw what I saw you do with the leper. Um, I have a friend. Like, it's clear, like, she's at, and Jesus kind of just sits there and sees her and listens to her. He doesn't say yes, but he also doesn't say no. And this whole thing just kind of, like, evolves and unfolds until at some point, he looks up to the roof, and which is going to be a little bit later than where you're at in the scene. And the first time he really says something is he just says, "Your faith is beautiful." Yeah. Um, which I because the text does say when Jesus saw the faith of the friends, like that's what the gospels say he noticed, right? Not the faith of the paralytic, but the faith of the friends. And so I love that he just kind of is watching, 
saying nothing one way or another. And towards the end of this exchange, it's just going to say, your faith is beautiful. Like he's moved by their faith. Um, that's what seems to move because it's not logic. Because if Jesus is trying to keep a secret, which he is clearly, even in these episodes, he's not doing a very good job, but he's moved by people's faith, which I think is instructive for us. But nevertheless, pretty good. Yeah. And we're basically there. Like the disciples um, help the man get onto the floor. And this is when the Pharisees come up to the window, Shmuel and Yusuf. Which did you catch? Like who was in the window before, Brent? Uh, Barnaby and, and Shula. Like, and, and I just went, oh my gosh, isn't that what Pharisees do? Us religious folk, when we have to make it about some issue of theology and some stupid argument, what we really do is we force ourselves in and we take the place of people who actually needed to see Jesus, who actually needed to see God, who actually had a conversation to be had. But here we come with our theological, you know, the theology police, and they just get in the way and literally force other people out of their spot, which is just more poetic, but dang. And I think we don't actually know who the Pharisees force out because... Shortly before that, when Shmuel first starts going through the crowd, Barnaby's kind of back in the crowd, and he's the one who stops him and says, you know, be quiet, I'm trying to listen. So Barnaby had already got his question in, right? and then he made room for someone else. Right, yep. And now the Pharisees are pushing that person out. Sure. So we don't know who that was, but yeah, yeah, that was a great point. So at this point, Shmuel addresses Jesus. He's like, where where do you get your authority? Because it's definitely not from anybody in Nazareth, (laughs) Uh, which I love. I love the little dig on Nazareth. Um, And then Jesus ignores him. And this is the point where he looks up and and compliments Tamar's faith. Right. And then, then he looks back down at the, the man and he says, your sins are forgiven. And then he turns and he's talking to the Pharisees. He's still, it's like, well, wait a minute, weren't you talking to the but he's addressing the Pharisees, even though he's sort of talking to the man, he's addressing the Pharisees is like, look, it's easy to say anything. I know that, but to show you that the son of man has this authority, then he turns back to the guy, rise and and go pick up your mat, do all the stuff. And so the man gets up, everyone's cheering. He starts to walk out of the house and a little mini and a little mini scene, uh, somewhere in the middle of all this was Peter up on the roof. As the man starts to get lowered through the roof, Peter jumps up on the roof behind Matthew. He's kind of having some words with Mary from roof to roof. But one of the things I love that he said to Matthew is, well, at least grab your tablet. Like, you you love to write things down. You love to tabulate things. So at least I hope you're, like, is this what you wanted? Like, you wanted Jesus to get in trouble. Like, Like, here we go. This is what you wanted to see. So at least grab your tablet, which I thought was awesome, because it will be Matthew, according to some theories, my own included, that will be the first one to start writing about who Jesus was and what he did. I know it's common for people to think Mark was written first. I personally think it was Matthew. I loved that little play on, well, at least grab your notepad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I forgot to make a note of that. And that's an amazing point. Yeah. Yeah. It, because that's totally the character of Matthew as he's being portrayed in this episode. Like, absolutely. I mean, just earlier in the episode, we talked about like, he knew exactly how long it had been since Peter was paid up. Exactly. Yep. 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 Yeah, for, for Matthew to just be ready at any moment to be taking notes on stuff. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Excellent point. So, yeah, so the man starts walking out of the house uh, on his own feet. He's kind of in a little bit of a daze. Like, everyone's cheering. Everyone's like, what is going on here? And then I think it was Shmuel um, calls out to the soldiers like, hey, this guy is disrupting the peace. 
everyone starts to disperse. The soldiers start to move in. Uh, they close and lock the door. Simon's like, okay, finally my moment. He grabs Jesus. They sneak out the back door. Um, Nicodemus is out in the, in the square and he's just watching this man walk away. Like, like in wonder, I, I, th- I feel like is the emotion that he's like, man, I can't like, I, I'm seeing this and I'm amazed by it. Not like I can't believe it. It's like, it's here. I have to believe it. And I'm just amazed by it is what I was getting from his, yeah, um, his look there. And so Nicodemus runs around, uh, the corner and finds Mary and he's like, look, I got to meet with Jesus. And she's like, ah, but your, your people are like, you're the ones causing the problems here. He's like, no, they're, those other guys are jealous. I just want to talk to him. Like, I don't care if it's at night. I don't care if it's out in the woods. I don't care. Like, whatever you tell me. In a tomb, he says. I don't care if it's in a tomb. I was like, whoa. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, okay, I'll ask. I'll see what's going on. And uh, and then then we go back to the, you know, behind the house, wherever it is. They're, they're sneaking through a bunch of doorways and stuff. And then Jesus is about to go through a door. And then he stops for a moment and he turns and he sees Matthew and he looks at him. But then he turns around and walks away. And Matthew's like, huh. <laughs> so that was the end of the episode. There you go. I was That was a good one. That had some good moments in it. Things are starting to pick up. This is at the point when I watched through season one for the first time. I'm like, all right, we're starting to get to the biblical text. <laughs> There's a lot of like setup episodes, which I didn't hate. But I was like, okay, we're moving now. We're moving. I see you. I see you chosen. That was good. I liked it. This series continues to impress for sure. I I have not not really been disappointed yet. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, Brent. All right. Well, I think that does it for this episode. Uh, we managed to to talk for less time than the episode ran so that's, that's I, I something call that a win. call that a goal yep <laughs> uh, uh i don't know if i would necessarily say it's a goal we'll talk about things for as long as we need to talk about them but it's just <laughs> nice right. when it's not too long you know yeah yeah all right i need goals like that to get me to shut up <laughs> all right well with that uh we'll end this episode if you want to get a hold of marty you can find him on twitter at marty solomon uh, you can find me at eibcb and you can find more details about the show at bamonestabshop.com Thanks for joining us on the BMO Podcast. We'll be back next week with Episode 7.